Morgus Board. Welcome to episode four of the Smorgas Board. I'm your host, Malcolm Powder, and I've got another serving of delicious ear food for you today, my friends. As I mentioned in episode three, I've started doing a companion show to go alongside the Smorgasbord called Gaming Desserts. It's just me chatting about a game that you can play on your mobile phone. Give it a listen when you get the chance. It's only five minutes long and it was a miniature labour of love for me because I really love computer games and I believe that they're for everyone. Also guys, on a more personal level, I really put my heart and soul into that Gaming Desserts show and I think it could genuinely change the world and make it a better place. <laughs> only joking. On this episode of the Smorgasbord, I will be talking to the best-selling writer, the avid wrestling nerd, and the all-round excellent human being that is Lindsay Kelk. But first, I'll be having a good chinwag with the wonderful comedian Catherine Bohart. Much like myself, Catherine moved to London from Ireland, and she only got into comedy relatively recently, about 18 months ago. When you see Catherine perform live, however, you'd be forgiven for thinking that she's been doing it for years. Here's a clip from a gig that Catherine did at the Edinburgh Fringe. So I'm currently, uh, I'm currently trying to come out to my manicurist. <laughs> okay, which is a much bigger dilemma than it sounds, right? Because on the one hand, it's like, will she finally make my nails as short as I need them to be? Because <laughs> that would be, that would be nice, you know? But on the other hand, I, I just feel like I'll get self-conscious, you know, like to have to worry about the size of my hands now. <laughs> if she puts on those latex gloves that they wear, is that about me? <laughs> Do I have to make like a teenage boy and say, I'm allergic? <laughs> I don't know, I think I overthink it. Catherine and I spoke about how she first got into comedy, some of her favourite funny people, and how becoming a comedian can make you mentally deranged. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Hi, thanks. I was going to ask you what you've got going on at the moment. I see from your Facebook page that uh, you're one half of a comic power duo. Is that correct? <laughs> I don't know about a power duo. <laughs> I, uh, I'm taking a show called Cat Call to Edinburgh with the lovely Callie Beaton. Okay. And we're on at 135. Here, here I'm already plugging. Ah, go for uh, it. 135 at Just the Tonic at the Small Kirk, the Little Kirk a miniature Kirk, one of those. <laughs> yep. And uh, we're on in Edinburgh for the full run. So yeah, it's just we're splitting an hour and we're going to do stand up. We're both ginger. We're both uh, la- ladies. Don't know if that makes any difference. And we talk about some of the same things and we're pals. Um, and I'm really excited about it, actually. This is all screaming power duo to me, by the way. Well, thanks. <laughs> I'll put it on a, a flyer. <laughs> so are you guys writing that together or? Um, no, so we're both doing a 25-minute, half-hour set. We have some ideas around it that we have, to some degree, coordinated. And we definitely bounce ideas off each other. I find Callie so helpful. She has a much more um, keen editorial eye, eye than I do. I just tend to ramble. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> That's kind of you to say. So she'll be quite quick on the mark of being like, okay, well, where's the gag? Where's the punchline? Uh, which I find really helpful. Um, because if anything, I take too much space when I'm telling a joke and it becomes a story. I think that's a uh, part of maybe your Irish heritage because we are storytellers, aren't we? We're oh, back on tour. Yeah. I think the problem is, though, I think that that heritage is inherently quaint and interesting, uh, but sometimes it's just very long winded. 
absolutely i completely agree i think i love that heritage too but uh my worry is that sometimes to non-irish people we just seem like we're waffling <laughs> yeah i mean a hundred percent um <laughs> I said, you say seem like, which is very kind. I think we <laughs> yeah. are. We just, I mean, it's a hundred words where one will do. Yeah. So it's nice to have somebody who helps me cut the rubbish. Nice. And so are you, um, are you guys going to be doing like, pre- you're doing previews for that, are you? Or? Yeah, we sure are. We have, we've done two in London now. Um, and we have one more on the, the benefit boat, the funny women have a space on the good ship benefit on embankment. Ah, okay, yeah. So very kindly having us there, and then we have a preview in Portsmouth and a preview actually on Sunday in Comedia in Brighton. Oh, brilliant stuff! That's all very exciting. Yeah, wow, excellent. Momentum is building. Funny women is that is that a comedy night or is that a group of nights or what? What is that? Funny women are they're an organisation who support women both new and established in comedy and they have been very supportive of Callie and I and they are putting on a whole festival, a whole series of um previews of comedians who are also women. And okay, yeah. yep, and they're gonna be on their boat I think all the way up till August. So they have an amazing space on the boat. I think it seats something like seventy or eighty. And uh, so we're excited to do We're doing our preview there the same night Sarah Kiewicz is. Oh, so, wow. Amazing. Yeah. So that's happening. And um, it's, it feels like everything is in the run up to Edinburgh now. Like it's all kind of because even when I'm gigging, everything is trying new bits or um, reminding myself of old ones specifically for Edinburgh. So that's nice. Yeah, no, it's always it's always good to have that kind of thing, that objective, you know, down the line that you can focus on. Um, but, panic. But yeah, exactly. With the the funny women thing, actually, that that was something I wanted to ask you because you said that they sort of like in funny women they help female performers, uh, new and established, to kind of get gigs and stuff. Um, do you think that there's a is there a healthy balance between male and female performers in comedy? Because obviously there are many industries in this life in which there is not a healthy balance, right? Um, but yeah. from my experience, when I go to gigs, I feel like there are loads of uh, female comedians there, which I think is great. And I feel like uh, comedy is just one of those things that's quite egalitarian. If you're funny, you will be given your chance to, you know, to say your bit. Do you think it's it's for, that there's a healthy balance or do you think there's some work needs to be done? Yeah, I think a bit of both. I think there's definitely a huge there seems it feels like there are more women in comedy than there have ever been which is really exciting um and i think at a certain level especially if you look at open mic and new um comedy nights there seems to be a huge balance um i think at some level it tends to drop off um but i think where that's most visible is on tv and i do think tv is kind of its own beast like i think it's quite separate to clubbing comics yep um and i think that is i mean that has more than just a lack of you know gender equality I think there's a lack of diversity that is but I do think that's being addressed and I do think it is at the fore at the minute I think people are genuinely concerned about it yeah which is as important as anything because at the point at which we accept there's a problem I think we can start to do something about it and I think that has started to happen I would agree with you though I do think with comedy if you're funny you're funny I think yes there are probably some people who are stuck in the dark ages but I think those people tend to have a problem with gay comics or with um, comics from different backgrounds or and I and also I don't know that people really want to see those nights anymore um, like I think all white male comedy lineups are almost all pushing to punters at this point I think they just think well why would I want to hear four of the same perspective I could be wrong but that seems to be uh, my view I obviously have only started in the last 
year and a half and I think there is a difference like the higher you go up in terms of like the big clubs you do see a drop off in women um but hopefully with more women getting into comedy that will be challenged more often yeah yeah no I mean that's the hope isn't it obviously yeah that like the more um kind of female performers we have at the uh the sort of grassroots level that that will just sort of expand upwards i think we have way more i think there have always been great role models for women in comedy and i don't think they just exclusively have to be women by the way but i do think there are even more now if that's what you want to like i think if you if you look to comedy especially you know in the states there are hundreds of examples of women who are brilliant and that's really exciting because i think there's that reassurance that if that, that women are funny and because that used to be the problem i think right that people would say women aren't funny and I think to some degree there's still that skepticism around you know from misogynists but they're thankfully a dying breed but I think um majoritively people are willing to accept that women can be funny and so now it's just about changing the dynamics that may not have put them on bills initially yeah is that that's a very long answer <laughs> no no I liked it it was in depth that was uh, that's exactly the detail that I was after I think you're right look I think if you're ambitious if you're funny if you're hardworking, and if you're professional then you will almost always be your best advertisement and people will tend not to care that you're Irish and long-winded or a lady or anything else. <laughs> does that make sense? It does, it does. And the next thing I was going to ask you was, because you just mentioned a second ago about female role models in comedy and how mm -hmm. there are some really good ones. That was a question I was going to ask you was, what comedians or funny people would you say have had an influence on you? Oh my gosh, that's, oh, so many, so many. Um... I don't know where to start. Um, Joan Rivers, Robin Williams. I mean, I think every comic in, who has a television will say, you know, who's from Ireland will say the likes of Father Ted were, well, for me, that was a big, like that was the first comedy show where I learned all the lines, you know, where I could, I could say the script back. It's the best sitcom ever. I, I mean, it's incredible. Incre like, if I feel sad, I just think about them caught in that department store underwear department, and and I'm a, I'm happy again. Ireland's largest lingerie department, actually. Oh, I have no, I have no <laughs> idea what to do. What was it? Two racks? I'm sure it was. <laughs> I just I love it. Um, Dylan Moran um, is a huge influence, I would say. I love that he's so acerbic and sardonic. I love Catherine Ryan. I absolutely love Catherine Ryan. She's brilliant. She seems to be a very prominent uh, female comedian. She kind of seems to be getting bigger and bigger. She's just, she's incredible. And she's really acerbic and intelligent. And I think she's brilliant. Um, who else do I love? I mean, I've also, it's, that's on one level, there's the people that you watch on television. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, like Tom Ward is amazing to watch in a club. I actually love, I love watching Susie Ruffles. Susie Ruffles has been amazing as well and just supporting me. She's just very... She's probably uh, the most significant pro comic that I've met who's just been like, oh, you want some advice? Here you go. Let's have coffee. And she's yeah. been very giving with her time. And she's very a very lovely and very good comedian. Um, who else has been? Who do I love? Comedy-wise. I could go on and on. Sarah Silverman. Um, Amy Schumer, to an extent. I, I like her. Do, uh, do you know why Sarah Silverman's gone out with uh, your man, Michael Sheen? I know. She was in his show. What's the one? Uh, Masters of Sex. Oh, was she in that? Yeah, she plays a lesbian. I was very excited. <laughs> it was an overwhelming day. I didn't realise she was an actor as well as a comedian. Yeah, and she's really good, actually. It's, it is, there is that, I think there's that aspect of it where you're always like, 
but come on, say something funny, say something funny. <laughs> yeah. uh, which isn't very fair, but yeah, she's really good. Um, I think, yeah, Tignatoro. I love, do you know who I love? Is, I love her now as well, but 1990s Ellen DeGeneres is the dream. <laughs> I mean, I love her comedy so much because, uh, who else do I love? I mean, just, yeah, I, just, I love so much of it. And I didn't really mean to get into comedy. I trained as an actor and then fell into comedy. And I didn't realize that I'd been sort of imbibing it for my whole life. I do love it and I have loved it for so long. I just never thought it was something I could do. Um, yeah, loads of people. So you started off wanting to be an actor then? Well, I always wanted to be an actor, yeah. And I came to London to be to go to drama school and I did that. And then much like all actors, I was temping. And yeah, <laughs> and then when I was temping, I was asked to run some sort of, I think it was like a women in property event. And um, I didn't want to have cocktails and manicures. So I was like, why don't we get some comedians in? And then through that, I just sort of got dragged to an open mic night. And then off I went. I got the bug. That's amazing. That's such a cool origin story. Thanks. I mean, I'm sure I'll glam it up. The you know, the longer I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just add more and more layers. Yeah, we it. might speak in three years, and I'll be like, I was in a forest, forest, <laughs> and um, I was just inspired. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, for now, that's still the still the true story. There was something I wanted to ask you. You know, um, I read an so I read an article about comedians, and there was some study. This is probably all bollocks now, obviously, but there was some study, and uh, it was um, the mental states of comedians, and it basically said that most comedians are either sociopathic or psychopathic or something that ends in pathic, um, <laughs> basically unhinged. And from my experience, you know, comedians that I've met, you know, I wouldn't say they were all entirely hinged <laughs> and i would say that from my experience that there is that element uh you know maybe you have to you're not kind of playing with the full deck of cards if if you get into this biz um what, what's your take on that um i've met lots of hinged comedians lots of very nice lovely normal comedians but i would say less that i think it attracts people who are necessarily pathic of any nature so much as it tends to try it's like the the effort of becoming a comedian might make you that way okay um so like you go out most nights of the week to work late at night um you expose yourself and all your vulnerabilities to a room full of strangers their response determines how you feel about yourself on the way home in the dark and then you have all evening to think about how that should affect you as a person and then you wake up the next morning and you do it all again and you do it in context kind of of a competitive like with sort of a competitive nature because you are always comparing yourself to people who are doing the same thing in the same pubs with the same vulnerability yeah and so you're competing and you you know have to constantly hear about how well other people are doing or how um well you're doing relative to other people and there's always this need to be making and writing and creating new material and i think itself the the endeavor to be a comedian might make you slightly crazy so what do i think about the theory yeah maybe maybe we're all just um psychopathic but i think it's more that um there's probably a little bit of need in you know telling people your story or telling people what you think is funny yeah. And I think it is, it does expect, it kind of expects you and requires you to be a little bit vulnerable. 
um, because even if you're not telling your own personal story, at some point you're saying something like, this is what I think is funny. Like, here's my weird on stage. Here I am exposed. What do you guys think? <laughs> if no one agrees, that is pretty lonely. It is, yeah. Man, I just, I can't believe that any of us ever do it when you put it like that, you know, because <laughs> that, that world that you're left with is just such a cold, barren wasteland, you know what I mean? But, you know, every sixth gig, when the room goes wild or some lady comes up to you afterwards and is like, oh my goodness, you spoke to my soul. Yeah. You know, you feel like it was worth going to... Lester on a Wednesday evening when you've been up since seven working and you think, yeah, my gigs aren't paid yet, but, you know, that lady really liked it. And that's something. <laughs> it's something. <laughs> it's definitely something. Uh, it's something. <laughs> Have I inspired you? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this is, uh, I mean... It's this is we're we're getting down to the brass bones things, Catherine. Now, aren't yeah, we? This is where it gets bleak. I'm so sorry. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> you know, on the the this show, it's called the Smorgasbord for a reason. It's because there's lots of different types of food, and you know, some of it is nice and light and fluffy, and some of it is uh, a bit downbeat. You know, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, some of it's depressing, but you need that sometimes. You know, yeah. so you you need you need the salty flavors in order to appreciate the sweet. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've gone a little bit sour. I apologize. I'll uh, uh, get back to sweet. I'd say sour. I'd say salty. You know, I'll salty take it. as I'll in. Take it. Yeah, as in, you know, not, not maybe as palatable as sweet. <laughs> Still, you know, necessary and also delicious. <laughs> so your flavors are fine, Catherine. Don't worry about it. Sweet. Phew. That's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's been it's been so nice talking to you, Catherine. So much. Thanks so much hey. for your time. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed myself. It's been a genuine pleasure having you on the Smorgasbord. And you're actually the first woman to be on the Smorgasbord. Yes. Yes. Can I, like, plant a flag or something? You absolutely can. Yes. Oh, I'm so relieved. And that, my friends, was Catherine Bohart. There's a link to Catherine's Twitter page down below, so give her a follow. And I've also put the link to the YouTube video, that clip I used earlier on. Keep an eye out for Catherine, guys, because I think you're definitely going to see her on TV one day. That gal's going to do big things. She's going to go far. Mark my words, eh? And on to my second guest, Lindsay Kelk. Lindsay and I have been friends for about seven years now, and she's pretty great. She's probably best known for her books, but she also does beauty blogs and stuff like that. And she's a major player in the world of underground amateur karaoke. Ever since I started this show, I've been looking forward to getting Lindsay on here for a chat. And we had a great laugh recording this. We covered topics such as her upcoming book, the migration patterns of hipsters, and what Lindsay calls the happiest of stuff. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Smorgasbord, Lindsay. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So you are coming to us all the way from Los Angeles today. I am. I am in the US of A. So when did you, so you moved there, was it last year? Yes, I moved to LA last January, um, and before that I was in New York for five and a half years. Okay. Which is scary, yeah. So, I mean, everybody, I mean, everybody's kind of seen New York and lots of films and stuff. I mean, LA, you see it less. I mean, you see it in some stuff like True Detective and some yeah. stuff that was in the 80s or whatever, but it's not as kind of uh, famous or as papped as um, New York is. What's it like living in LA? True, true. 
Um, it's actually really interesting. I feel like LA is, is clearly because I'm here, um, but like on the cusp of a bubble, I really feel like it, something's happening. There seems to be a lot more going on here right now. Um, like TV shows set here and movies are set here. Like there's that whole, I live in Silver Lake, which is on the east side. Um, and there's been this massive, um, boom in shows that are set here, like casual, uh, which is on Hulu out here is set in Silver Lake. I think Togetherness, which was the Duplass Brothers show, was on okay. HBO, was set here. Um, it's really interesting that that stuff that would have been set in Brooklyn five years ago is now being set out in L.A. Um, and the most interesting thing about that to me is that, as far as I can tell, L.A. isn't synonymous anymore with like Hollywood. You know, oh, like right. it used to be like you go to you would say L.A. and people are like, oh, Hollywood, like, where all your dreams come true. And you would just think of the pretty woman, like super glamorous, super seedy, nothing in between. Yeah world and I think now there's this massive creative class of people that got pushed out of New York because they just couldn't afford to be there anymore um, and quite frankly we're just sick of the New York drama and hassle and quite frankly weather um, and they're all settled on the east side of LA sort of Silver Lake, Los Feliz, Eagle Rock, these little pocket neighborhoods um, where it's affordable still, uh, you can live without breaking your neck like New York is so crazy expensive now um, and LA's offered them something else, which is really nice. It's it's like a really exciting time to be here. There's so much going on. Nice. Well, it sounds to me like you took all of the Park Slope hipsters from Brooklyn and dragged them halfway across, well, uh, the entire way across America. Yeah. And uh, put them up in LA. Some of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, guys, here's the leaflet. I will give you the talk. It's me or the Scientologist. You can talk to either of us, but we're both very persuasive. I can imagine uh, you making welcome packs and everything. I know there's a little map in it. There's some <laughs> yeah. like, local artisanal candy. <laughs> very exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, I like LA. I yeah, I've never been there. I'd love to go there. I mean, the thing that really, I'm sure you're probably sick of hearing it, but the thing that everyone says is, you got to have a car if you're going to be in LA because it's so damn yeah. big and blah, blah. I mean, that's the same for America in general, really. I mean, exactly. And it's not entirely true anymore just right. because of the ride sharing services like Uber and Lyft. Um, and I didn't have a car for the first six months, I want to say. And because I don't, I mean, I obviously work from home because I write books at home. Um, so I didn't need to go to an office every day. So I didn't need a car. Um, and that makes a massive difference. I have one now and it's totally fine. People, people in LA like to complain about the traffic because they have got nothing else to complain about. It's like English people complaining about the weather. Yeah. Because like, oh, this is this unifying experience that we all have that we can all walk outside and go, bloody black over builds bothers again today and then go back in and you've exchanged this human experience with someone here it's traffic it's like oh yeah it was really awful when i sat in my car in the sunshine for 20 minutes listening to an informative podcast um <laughs> and it was, yeah it's like i had a lovely time in my car i don't know i find it weird that people just are desperate to complain about the la traffic and how, how much of the stereotypes about la are true you know the whole sort of uh everybody's got um plastic surgery blah 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 everybody is an actor who is also a waiter or something you know yeah. like all those it, stereotypes it depends what neighborhood you're in uh, if you're in the middle if you're in hollywood west hollywood beverly hills you're 100 percent. and all the women are wearing their super expensive lululemon workout gear but carrying like an hermes handbag that costs 10 grand and like they have not been to the gym and nor have they ever been to the gym you know and it's like in their face is like it's not even recognizable as a human face um <laughs> 
But at the same time, where I am on the east side, like that's none of that at all. It's much more, for want of a better word, hipster. Um, but it's just really chill and people are really friendly and it's so collaborative. People are so nice, which I was really surprised at. Like everyone wants to help you. There is that element of people being like, you know, who are you? What do you do? And how can you help me? Yeah. But at the end of the what do you do? How can you help me? Is like, well, and then how can we help each other? Like, what can we do together? Yeah. Um, which I think is really interesting and was missing in New York. New York, it was just like, well, what do you do? Am I better than you? If I've decided I'm better than you, then I'll talk to you. You wow. know, it's it, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. really judgmental society. Bloody hell. Um, and as a writer, that's really difficult because, you know, you're constantly self-critical and constantly thinking you're the worst person in the world. And then there's just all these other people who have got their blog and their 10 unwritten manuscripts in the corner going like, oh, yeah, yeah, you are the worst person in the world. Cool. Um, <laughs> whereas here, it's just like, oh, my God, you write. That's so cool. I write. Let's talk about writing, um, which is refreshing and nice. Yeah, that does sound nice. And in yeah. terms, and in terms of your writing, so you've um, you've written a number of books. You've written loads of books now, haven't you? Loads, loads. How loads. many? Fifty-seven thousand. How many have you written? I've written twelve thousand. Thousand books. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's been a busy couple of years. Yeah. Well, you know, you've got to keep yourself busy. <laughs> yeah, Can't be out on the streets. <laughs> yeah, so I was just about to say. <laughs> yeah, keep you off the streets, Lindsay. Um, <laughs> so. With your writing, um, the iHeart series, is that something that you're going to continue or is that, what's the story with that? Um, so, yeah, the iHeart series was, uh, my first book was a book called iHeart New York. And um, that grew into a series of six of the 12 books, um, which is handy. Uh, and, yeah, the last book we did was iHeart Christmas, which will be two years ago this year. Okay. Um, it's It's difficult because... I always said I would write the series until I didn't have a story for the characters because I don't want to flog a dead horse, you know. I don't yeah. want to take the mick out of the readers by writing I Heart Milton Keynes where Angela goes to work at Tesco and, like, accidentally sells someone some off milk. You know, like, that's yeah. not a story. So I, I don't want to be that person because that has, does happen with book series and TV series and film series. You know, you just get into a groove where you're, I don't want to mention the Transformers franchise, but, you're, you know, this is making money. So I'll just keep making them, even though there's no story to tell. Yeah. Um, and at the minute, I haven't got a story to tell. Uh, but that changes because, you know, the characters grow and change. And as my life changes and I experience new things, sometimes I'll think, oh, that would be relevant to that character. Yeah. And that makes me want to explore the story. So I've always said that I will do another one. I mean, the readers are desperate for it. Like, they email me every day. But it's out of respect to them and to myself as a writer that I'm not just going to keep pumping out iHeart stories when there isn't a story to tell. So in theory, yes. But in practice, I don't know when. Okay, fair play. I, that sounds like <laughs> a pretty – no, that sounds like a smart way to do it. I mean, because – I mean – yeah, like, what's the point in just kind of forcing it out? And if you don't yeah. have a, a story to and tell... And you do then... a bad story, and you've undermined all the good storytelling that you did, and I think that's unfair to everyone involved. Um, And so the iHeart series is... um, That's going to kind of come back when it's ready. Are you writing anything else at the moment? I Well, I actually just finished a book, which is out this coming October, um, which is called We Were On A Break. Okay, yeah. And, yep, that will be out in the UK on October 6th, and the US and Canada next January uh, and the rest of the world in assorted dates between those two time periods. Um, I'm, pretty, no, I'm pretty excited about it because um, it's the first time um, I've done something a bit different in that this book is written from the perspective of the 
man and the woman. Okay. So it alternates. It's the same story, obviously. It's this couple that um, we meet them on their own holiday. It's the last day of their holiday. And uh, basically the girl has been led to believe that she's going to be proposed to and has spent the entire holiday being like, what am I going to get proposed to? When am I going to get proposed to? And instead of getting engaged, they end up deciding to take a break. Um, and then you sort of see what happens in the fallout from each character's perspective. So you see it from Liv, who's the girl, and Adam, who's the guy, um, which I just thought was really fun to do because normally these books, mine included, are always from the woman's perspective and the dude ends up being like either this romantic hero or a terrible cad who's, you know, breaking her heart. And I was like, well, you know, surely he's got a story. And yeah. whichever one of those he might be from the woman's perspective, he's doing stuff with his day when he's not just waiting around to, you know, react to her. You know, yeah. he's just there as a plot device. I want to know what he's up to for the rest of his time. Yeah. So that's what that book was about and why that book came into being. So I'm really excited to see how people react to the joint perspective. Nice. Yeah, trying something new. That's cool. Uh, when did you finish that? Uh, actually, only like a month ago. Ah. Uh, I'm really slack. Uh, yeah, and we run pretty late. But this was good. This was like, if we finished it like a good yeah, four or five months out from pub, which is good for me. Nice. <laughs> that's that's four or five months out from being published to all of the non-publisher people yeah, who might sorry. be listening. Uh, yeah, you know, you finished the book. Um, last week, I finished a computer game, you know. We're we're all we're both achieving stuff is what I'm. Everyone's everyone's achieving something and that's what's important in life. <laughs> so while we're talking about happy stuff, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about one of the great loves of your life, which is of course wrestling. The happiest of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's interesting actually because like in the last few months, thanks to the fine work of Mr. Conor McGregor, um, I've got quite heavily into UFC fighting. Good work. And um, the he's more an interesting I, chap. He's a very interesting chap. And the more I read about it, and um, the more I find that there's um, really interesting parallels between wrestling and UFC. I mean, obviously Brock Lesnar is like a crossover guy mm -hmm. who's kind of moved over between the two. Um, yep. But I read a really interesting article about um, how women's MMA and women's wrestling developed and sort of gained legitimacy at the same time. Um, and it was really interesting. Have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's really interesting um, to me, especially as a huge wrestling fan, um, especially the MMA stuff I find really interesting because being out here in L.A., there is an independent wrestling promotion called uh, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, which is it's, every month, every couple of months, they hold an event um, out in Reseda in the Valley. Uh, at a American Legion club, which is like the sketchiest venue and the sketchiest bit. And you're just like, where am I? Uh, it's in the car park for three hours waiting to go in with all these people. The tickets sell out in two seconds. And wow. it's basically some of the best independent wrestlers in the world wrestle at PWG. Um, and the first time that I went, uh, Ronda Rousey was there, like just hanging out. Oh, wow. She goes to most events and either her or the other three girls in her four horsewomen, girls, amazing wrestlers, um, amazing fighters. Sorry, that was yeah. a terrible thing to say. Um, <laughs> but they're all there. They're always there. Um, and they go to PWG all the time. They're really engaged. They're huge fans of wrestling. Um, and yet, you know, they are recognized as being these badass, amazing, brutal fighters. Yeah. Uh, and they love wrestling. So I was like, you know what, guys? Maybe it's okay. Maybe it's yeah. not terrible. And there is this huge crossover now between Brock Lesnar and CM Punk, obviously, left yeah. uh, WWE two and a half years ago now. And yeah. he has this fight in September, which I'm 
super excited about. Are you, wow, you're um, going to watch that? Oh my god, yeah. Is he on that he's card gonna in get uh, Cleveland? Yeah, he's yeah. going to die. And oh, I just, absolutely like, going to die. I have followed, you know, I've been a fan of Funks for a long time. Yeah. I was there when he won the belt when he did his like when he won his belt for the uh, like record-breaking reign. Um, huge, huge fan, and I support him in all that he does. Uh, but I think he's going to get murdered to death, and <laughs> I'm really worried about him. Uh, but good on him for like doing it. You know, it's yeah. a huge, huge physical and mental undertaking to say, "Screw this, I'm going to do it." Um, so I want to see it happen, man. I want to be there and probably not physically be there because it's far away. But I'll definitely watch it. Um, I think because actually, didn't Rousey herself turn up at um WrestleMania she one was, time? She was at Mania last year. Um, when The Rock got in the ring and he was in the ring with uh, Stephanie McMahon and Triple H, and Stephanie got in the middle of it all, and Rock was like, "I would never hit a woman, but I've got a friend who will." And she came out of the front row and was like, "Boom!" Um, oh, nice. And then they were sort of angling for a match between Stephanie McMahon, who is for those that don't know. Uh, Vince McMahon's daughter and one of the principal owners of WWE. Um, they were angling for a match between her and Rousey, but this, I, mean, I understand there is some tension between Dana White, the owners of UFC, and um, Vince at WWE. They're not best of friends, so that's why people were really surprised that Brock is going to be at the next UFC event because he's still under contract to WWE, is, and yeah. they sort of negotiate a timeout for him because uh, yeah. they've traditionally not worked well together. Right. Okay. So this is really interesting because that opens doors. Yeah, and uh, it's going to help. Said she would like to do it, and you know, women's wrestling is on the up. Like yeah. the wrestling right now is fantastic. Like the wrestlers they have right now, the technical wrestlers on the women's side are just awesome. So, are you into UFC at all? Did you ever watch it? Yeah, I've dabbled a little bit here and there. Um, full. I mean, I have no problem with UFC. I don't have an issue with it. My full disclosure is, I spend so much time watching wrestling. Yeah, it's kind disgusting that i just haven't had the time to dedicate to it i wanted to go and see uh rousey's ronda rousey had a match a couple of months ago it wasn't the holly home where she lost it was the one before that and it was at staples center and i was going to go and i couldn't get a ticket um and i think she won in like 20 seconds or oh, something that was the katzingano yeah, fight yeah 14 seconds yeah yeah, yeah and i was like eh, it would have took me like 20 minutes to get there and a good hour to get home with traffic so i'm all right i'm all right i'll just watch that online um <laughs> But I, I, I will I will definitely watch the punk match. I'll watch the Lesnar match, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I've, I've dabbled in and out. But I, man, it's a lot of time watching wrestling. There's so much. Yeah, no, fair <laughs> play. Hours. Yeah, fair play. <laughs> Listen, uh, Lindsay, thanks so much for your time. It's been really, really lovely to speak to you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. And that, my friends, was Lindsay Kelk. You can follow her on the Twitter link below, but she's also active on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and Snapchat. Man, that lady is busy. And that's it for another episode of the Smorgasbord. I'll be back in two weeks with the next installment of Game and Desserts. Until then, feel free to get in touch if you have anything to say about the show. And as always, thanks very much for listening. See you soon.